message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. We are loving our community. Isn't that what it's all about? We're talking about love today, and that's exactly what we're doing. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You all hyped up today. You had your pancakes and eggs and sausage and all of that, all that healthy stuff. We want to welcome all of our viewers online, uh, other campuses, uh, Northwest. We love you guys and Tehachapi and all the others. Vegas, we have listeners. We have listeners from all over the world. We're glad you joined us today. I'm kind of sad that I didn't stay on prophecy. Stuff is happening so quickly. Are you guys watching the news? Did you see the Russia and China alignment this week? That's a game changer. We believe in Isaiah, it might talk about China when it talks about the Eastern power. In the book of Revelation, 200 million soldiers are going to come from the East into this last battle. Who could provide 200 million soldiers beside China. I'm telling you, gang, it's the birth pains. China's what? Approximately one-fifth of the world population? It's crazy. This alignment, watch out. This is a game changer. And then the, the cryptocurrency. What is that about? I mean, Bitcoin, New York Mayor Eric Adams said his first paycheck that comes this week is automatically going to be converted into cryptocurrency. Bitcoin. Could this be the precursor to what we understand as the mark of the beast? A precursor, a test run to see if we'll go for this. It won't be that because the government's not behind that and the government will be behind the mark of the beast. But could it be a precursor? Germany and NATO, this stuff's happening so rapidly. I, I, oh, wow. Are we going to freak out about all this? No, the Bible says your redemption draweth nigh. When you see these things come to pass, look up because you're going home crazy crazy it doesn't say freak out don't get don't be afraid it, it says rejoice your, your your redeemer's coming back this is birth pains going quick well i might have to start giving you an update every now and then on bible prophecy because we got to stay up with this cryptocurrency and all this stuff uh, but today we're going to talk about love father god anoint this message empower me help me lord to to watch the clock in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been studying the book of Peter, and we got hung up with verse 22. Let's look again at 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently one, love one another from what? From the heart. God says, I don't want superficial love. I want it to come from the heart. It says, love one another fervently. That's a powerful word. Look at fervently in the Greek. It means intense, continual, unceasing, without letting up, and strenuously. 
This same word fervently is used in Acts 12, 5. Look at it. Acts 12 and 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made, what? Fervently by the church to God. You don't know how many times I tell God, I'll have an issue and I'll say, God, I believe this to be according to your will, and I'm going to pray every day, every day, every day. I'm going to praise you for the answer. I'm going to pray, man, fervently until either you answer my prayer or you tell me it's not your will. And until you do that, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe, I'm going to pray and believe, and you won't believe how many God's stories have been the result of that. Fervently, ongoing, sweating, strenuously. Now, 1 Peter 4 and 8, look at this. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. There's that word fervent again. Now, this is not just mamby-pamby love. Fervent in your love for who? One another. It starts right here. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the idea here is this is one of many. When we sin and it becomes publicly known, which a lot of our sins are, we get embarrassed. We get humiliated. We become ashamed. Now, when people keep loving us and they know about our sins, they know we failed, but they keep loving us, it causes us to refocus because we feel accepted. We're able to deal with our sins. My life, through all my decades of ministry, there's been a few occasions where I have to go to my leaders and say, I've sinned and I want to confess my sin to you so you'll pray for me. And when they keep on loving me intensely after they know my sins, that helps me. Now, look at the definition of covers here. It says, love covers a multitude of sin. Cover means to cause sins to be overlooked, to be kept secret, to conceal from and cover with a veil. That's exactly what agape love does. It's unconditional. I love you regardless of what you do in the future. My love will not change for you. I don't care what you do or how you sit. My love will not change for you. You say, how can you guarantee that? Because I stay filled with the Holy Spirit, and he'll cause me to do that. It'll be him, him loving through me. Uh, exa- example, you know, the, the woman caught in adultery. I mean, wow. You would have had to been there to feel the full impact of that. Did Jesus smile? Did he put his arm on her shoulder? Did he kind of wink at her saying, where's your accusers? He said, I'm giving you a mulligan. Go and sin no more. You would have had to have been there to receive the full impact of that. By the way, did you know that story in our Bible, the woman caught in adultery, did you know that's not in the old Greek manuscripts? Somebody threw it in. That's okay. Did it still happen? Yes, I believe so. The Jewish people put a lot of power in tradition and, and sayings, and somebody put it in there, probably the second or third century, it got in there, but we still believe it happened. Uh, forgiveness and acceptance should be a major trademark of the church today. I keep up with stuff. Whoopi Goldberg, she got really into a lot of trouble on The View. Why? She made a stupid statement. She said that, the Holocaust had nothing to do with race. Had everything to do with race. 
She made a dumb statement. Can I tell you something? Everybody that speaks in public is going to make some dumb statements because we're human. And I'm not a Whoopi Goldberg fan at all, but she apologized. She owned up to it. So I did something. Forgive her. What else do you want? They keep putting stuff out. And again, I'm not her fan. I don't espouse what she espouses. I don't think she's the kind of person that we need to look up to. But I do want to use the example to say she repented. She, she said, I'm sorry. I, I learned something new. Let it go. Let it go. The church is to be out love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I'm telling you, gang, we, we've got to let that be our major trademark. Sometimes... The church is the only one that shoots their wounded. Now, let me show you something here that's really important. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, what's the purpose here? We've got to love one another. Now, look at the next verse. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Next verse. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice the order here, a verse on love, then hospitality, then gifts of the Spirit. What we have here is purpose, location, method. Can I say that again? Purpose, location, method. Our purpose is to fervently love one another. Where's the location at? Out in the marketplace and in the home, not in the church. The church as we do it today isn't really designed for reaching out and loving one another, not the church services. So the purpose is love one another, the location is out in the marketplace, and the method is by using spiritual gifts. That's one of the ways we love one another. I'm going to say more about that in a second. I think it was either John Corson or Vernon, J. Vernon McGee who preached this years ago, and I listened to it, and the more I think about it, the more I think they're right. It has to do with this passage about, talk about love and gifts. Look at Exodus 28, 33 through 35. This is explaining or describing the high priest Aaron's garment, his robe. You shall make on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around on its hem and bales of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers. When he does what? When he ministers. Those bells are going to ring when he ministers. And his tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord so that he will not die. That's an important last phrase. What? It says that they shall tinkle when he's in the holy place. And as long as you know they're tinkling, he's not dead. That means he's moving around. He's not dead. Tradition tells us that when the priest went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, that they would tie a scarlet rope around his foot when he went in. Why? Well, if the priest didn't go through the proper, uh, proper ceremonial washings, if the priest didn't properly atone for his own sins before he went into the Holy of Holies, he would die. He would die. You say, God would kill him? What kind of God is that? It didn't say God would kill him. You have to be holy to be in God's presence. Do you understand that? It's just an automatic thing. You die if you're not holy. So they're thinking, and I think it's probably true, the tradition, that 
If he goes in there and he's not right with God and he kills over dead, who's going to go in and retrieve him? Everybody goes in, he'll die. So why not just tie a scarlet rope around his foot? If, if the bells stop tinkling and stop ringing, and, and you just pull him out, man. Pull him out by the foot. If this tradition is true, it tells a lot of things. I think it was John Corson, I believe he was the one, or J. Vernon McGee, used this illustration, I think it's really right on. Let's say you got into a time machine and went back to that century, and you get back there in the biblical days, and you're walking down the road, and you see this huge crowd of people around the holy place. They're around the ta- temple or tabernacle. They're all around. And you go up and you tap one of them on the shoulders. You go, what's going on here? It's, oh, you don't know? This is Yom Kippur. And the high priest is in the holy of holies in God's presence. He's making a sacrifice for our sins. He's, he, he, he's, he's atoning for sins. And we're all out here anxiously awaiting to see what happens when he comes out. And so you go, well, how do you know he's in there? Well, you, you listen. You can hear the bells. Hear it? Okay, so that's how you know he's in there? Yeah, if those bells stop ringing, then, then, you know, maybe he's dead or something. But as long as we hear the bells, we know. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and again. If we speak with the tongues of men and angels, that's a gift of the Spirit, right? And don't have love. We become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, can we say that spiritual gifts without love are like bells? They're like symbols. They're like clanging bell, bells together. That's what a symbol is, clanging together. Two pieces of metal banging up against one another. Now, I'm going to go on to tell you today that the gifts of the Spirit must be used by love. If I came up here and I have the gift of teaching and I'm just yelling and I'm real grouchy with you, you're not going to receive much out of that gift, are you? If I have the gift of giving and I give with a condescending, snooty attitude, you're not going to receive that gift. The gifts must be used in love. Now let's back up to the priest's garment. They say, as long as we hear the bells, we know he's alive. Let me tell you, one of the biggest things today that let us, lets us know that God's alive and he's on his throne is when someone uses spiritual gifts. We go, oh my gosh. For example, I had a bad year. And I was sitting outside and I had some health. I haven't been healthy forever. I had some health issues. And I was sitting outside a few weeks back. And I said, God, I'm getting so many health issues. And today I don't have them, but I did then. I was going through a lot of stuff. I said, man, am I going to die or live? I said, God, I have a lot of plans. I'm getting over a lot of plans. And, and God, I'm asking you, I, I want to hear today. I, I'm making a lot of long-range plans. Am I going to live or die? And you don't have to answer this, but I'd appreciate it. And I named the lady in the church that is really a mouthpiece to me. And I said, God, speak to her today and have her to tell me if I'm going to live or die. Because I got some long-term plans within a few hours. This lady never writes me very much. She wrote me and said, I just want to tell you something. I was trying to send you a word today, but God told me to tell you that because you fear his name, he will save you from death. I go, whoa. Now, now I say that to go, man, I know God's alive. Woo, that put chill bumps on me. I asked God to do this. It'd be a favor to me. Whoa, he did it just within a few hours. I go, woo! My daughter, when she was Pregnant with our first grandchild. She didn't know she was pregnant. Charlie Garcia, the godliest man I've ever known. 
who went to be with Jesus, he came up to her one Sunday and said, I just want to tell you, God told me this morning that you are with child. She didn't know. Next day, she went down and got a test. She was pregnant. The bells are ringing. I know he's alive. I know he's there. I mean, I could go on and on with God's stories. A guy knocks on my door that goes to church here. He'll be in the front row next service. Knocked on my door one day because I had a broken water pipe, and I'm bad at fixing things. And I was praying, God, help me today. I don't know how to fix things. He knocks on my door, and there he stands with a shovel. He said, I heard you have a broken water pipe. Uh, God told me to come and help you. Man, God, you're alive. You're real. Whoa. Do you understand what I'm saying? Through the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit, we know that he's alive. We hear the bells. And I could go on and on and on. See, the pomegranates on the hem of the garment were made out of this soft material, and they'd keep the bells from clanging together. I've heard that those bells on the priest's robes were really made beautiful noise. But if they were clanging together, it, would, it wouldn't be beautiful noise. Now, pomegranates are fruit, right? Fruit of the Spirit is love. I am suggesting to you that there are so many hidden truths in the Bible that high priest garment shows us gifts with love, gifts with love, gifts with love. In 1 Corinthians 12, what do we have? A chapter on the gifts. Chapter 13 is a gift, chapter on love, and chapter 14 is another chapter on gifts. You have gifts separated by chapter on love, separated by chapter of gifts. Gifts, love, gifts. Pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell. You say, what are you seeing all this for? As Christians, we need to learn what our gift of the Spirit is. When you learn what your gift is, then you have to really major on ministering that gift in love, or it's no good. How many people have gifts, but they nullify the power of those gifts because they don't have love? Now let's get more practical. Let's go back to where we left off at last week. We're going to get practical with love. How do we love more? How do we love deeper? 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. Love is patient. We covered that last week. What does patient mean? It means it has a long fuse. Love is kind, not jealous, does not brag, and is not arrogant. Now last week we covered... Patience. Love, when it's displayed, it's patient. It means it has a a long fuse. Anybody get the chance to practice this this week? Do do, do you get it yet? When we hear something preached, that week we're supposed to practice what we preach. I was in the gym and I was in a rush this week. And a guy's on the machine I want on his phone. So I said, God, I'm going to have a long fuse. So I went over, did my stomach, come back, he was still on his phone. I went, did my back, came back, he was still on his phone. My fuse is burning. And I said, God, I got to practice what I preach. Finally, I went over, took a deep breath. I said, sir, how much longer do you have on this machine? He said, oh, I was through a long time ago. I was just sitting here texting. Thank you, thank you. Uh, let's continue because I'm watching the clock today. The next one, love is kind. Definition of kindness. It's gentle. See that Greek word there? I don't pronounce them anymore because I mispronounce them all the time. I tell the young pastors, they try to pronounce these. I said, don't, don't make a fool out of yourself. Just, just let them read it. Love is kindness. Is, kindness is it's gentle, full of service to others. Acts benevolently, gracious to furnish what is needed. Story. True story, 1990 Super Bowl. 
between the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills. There was eight seconds left on the clock, and Scott Norwood was called in to kick the winning field goal. Oh, I don't know if I'd want to be a field goal kicker in this kind of situation. He had about, I think it was a 49-yarder he had to make to win the game and be a hero. He gets out there, and he misses the kick. The New York Giants go on to win the Super Bowl. He explains later, he said, I have never been so depressed in my life. I let my team down, my teammates. I let the city down. I let my family down. He was just close to being a hero, and he didn't do it. He said, I couldn't sleep at night. I was just embarrassed to go out in public. It took a while for me to even go out in public. And then I heard there was going to be a celebration in Buffalo. They were going to celebrate us for being the AFC champions. And said, I went. All the guys got on the stage. I tried to hide in the back where I couldn't be seen. I didn't, didn't want to go forward. And all of a sudden, something unexpected happened. He said the crowd, 30,000, started chanting, We want Scott. We want Scott. We want Scott. The guys lifted him up, took him to the front, had him on their shoulders or whatever. I forgot that part of the story. And they kept chanting, we want Scott, we want Scott. He said after it was over, he said, I have never felt more loved than I do right now. Kindness. They didn't have to do that. They changed that guy's life. They changed his life. What is the definition I've given you? He was able now to deal with his, his, his mistake. Because of the love. Let me wait one more practical. I'll use the body here. Mike Maggard's my, one of my very, very close friends. He's probably here today. Mike, you know, has been a political figure in our community for a long time. Some time ago, I forgot what office he was in, but he was going to be sworn in. TV was there, television, everything. He said, would you come and pray over it, over my swearing in? I said, sure. As usual, I'm always running, always late. And so I went to leave that, that night, and I was really in a rush, and I grabbed my jacket, put it in the car. When I got down there, I put it on, and man, that jacket was tight. I thought, man, am I lifting weights? Man, I'm getting buffed. I mean, it was so tight, I couldn't hardly move. Oh, I'm buffed. I walked in and sat down, this jacket was skin tight. And I went up on the stage, I prayed, it was on TV. And I came home, and I told my wife, I said, man, this jacket. I said, Ron, that's not your jacket said, Jeb came over the other day, and he borrowed your jacket, and he left his. He's a little guy. <sighs> All of a sudden, I thought, oh, no. Mike had to see that. I probably ruined his whole night. And I was going to be miserable for three or four days, and then Mike called, and he said, hey, dude, you working out weights a lot? Man, that jacket fits you good tonight. <laughs> oh, Mike, I'm so sorry. That wasn't my jacket. He said, oh, it's all right, man. Everything worked out good. Mike was kind to me. I would have beat myself up for a week. But he was able to laugh with me, and I was able to laugh and go, wow, your kindness is a, appreciated a lot, Mike. Next, it says that love is what? Not jealous. Not jealous. Now, I, I heard someone say there's three levels of jealousy. First, I want what you have. I go to your house, you have this $3 million house, and you have all these fancy cars in the garage, you've got this knockout gorgeous wife, and I go, I want that. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with it at that stage, but you need to let it go before it turns into jealousy. The second level of jealousy is I have something and I don't want you to have it. I want to outshine you. That's a sin. Thirdly, the third level of jealousy, I don't want you to have what you have, and that's envy. How do we combat this feeling of jealousy? By becoming content with what we have. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world and we can take, can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Some of us, let's admit it, we couldn't handle a $3 million home. We couldn't handle a multi-million dollar salary. Some of us, I mean, we, we just couldn't handle it. Some of you, if you had a yacht in your garage, you wouldn't even be here today hearing this word. You'd be out in Catalina Island somewhere eating breakfast by the sea. Some of you, if you had to knock down that, that gorgeous spouse, man or woman that's just knockout beautiful, you'd probably eaten up with jealousy. And you all do have knockouts, I'm sure, but you know, you, you hear what I'm saying. Look at Proverbs 38 and 9 in the Message Bible. Banish lies from my lips and liars from my presence. Give me enough food to live on, neither too much nor too little. If I'm too full, I might be in, get independent saying, God, who needs him? If I'm poor, I might steal and dishonor the name of God. God, don't give me more than what I can handle. I don't need to be jealous. God's given me my portion, right? He's given me what I need. Look at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. It says, not that I speak from want, nor have I learned to be... Okay, let me slow down, Ron. I took caffeine today for the first time in weeks. <laughs> weeks. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity. And in and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I used to be very discontent. For a decade, I lived that way. I always wanted the fancy home. I always wanted the fancy car. And I had my cute little blonde hair, blue-eyed lady that would drive my car. It took a while after I got saved. I, I really had this, this thing in me where I, I, I wanted those things too badly. And then I got right with God. And when I got right with God, everything else got right. Did you hear that? I'm not saying when I got saved. I said when I got right with God. I got right with God sometimes after I got saved. Some of you that are discontent, you need to get right with God. When I got right with God, my jealousy got better. I loved to gamble, and I didn't want to gamble anymore. I lust for things, began to dissipate, and I became content with what I had. Today, I don't have a fancy home. I, I have a nice cabin in the mountains that I live in. I got a nice car, but I always buy them with a lot of miles on them. I don't buy brand new can't afford it, and plus, they're already broken in for me. <laughs> Next, love what? It does not brag and is not arrogant. 
a guy took a first aid class, and he was so proud of himself. He was a licensed first aid person. On the way home one night from his last class, he saw a car wreck, and he jumped out, started walking toward the wreck. Everybody out of the way, out of the way, get out of the way. He pushed one lady aside and some other people. He said, I know first aid. I'm a licensed first aid guy. He got out of my way. He gets downstairs to his CPR. One of the ladies he pushed away came up, tapped him on the shoulder, said, sir, when you get to the point where it says, call for a doctor, I'll be right over here. (laughs) Kind of humbling, huh? Yeah. Well, we've got to deal with this. You might be the most beautiful person in this building today. And you know what? Some of you are really good-looking people. Some of you guys and gals, you're nice looking. At my age, I just stare at you because you have no wrinkles. We got some of the most beautiful people in Bakersfield. And then there's the rest of us. But you might be uh, the most beautiful woman or the most handsome guy in Bakersfield. But can I tell you something? God blessed you with those genetics. God gave you the parents he gave you to produce that. It's a gift from God. So be thankful. Don't be arrogant. Be faithful. You might say, I'm the toughest guy in Kern County. Man, I can beat anybody up. I'm so tough. Well, someday you'll you'll probably die and hopefully you'll go to heaven and you'll meet a Dino who killed 800 men at one time. You think you're tough? Abishai killed 300 men at one time. Ben and I, who was bored one day, said he went down into a pit on a snowy day and decided to kill a lion. Nothing to do. David. David insinuated that he killed a bear and lion with his hands. I mean, David was a tough guy. He killed Goliath. See, sometimes we don't see this Goliath thing right. I have a picture I found on the internet sometime. I'll show it to you. This might be more like it. Look at this. We don't know. Maybe we don't picture Goliath right. David took him out. I mean, don't brag. If you're the most beautiful person around, the toughest guy around, don't brag. Be a model to younger people because they look up to you. See that that strength and that ability to be tough and that beauty is coming from God. Again, we're not to brag. That doesn't mean you have false humility. If you're a very beautiful person here today, you say you're a knockout woman, somebody says, man, you are so beautiful. Don't say, oh, me, you see me when I get up in the morning, I look like a dog. I'm not beautiful, that's all this. No, just say thank you, I really appreciate that compliment. That's good. You know, you might be, have a fantastic voice like Allie has and John has up here. Fantastic voices. If somebody says, man, you know what, you're the best singer around. Don't say, oh, me, oh, no. It's the PA. No, just say Thank you, I really appreciate that. God's been good to me. And you can take every trait. Let's look at next, because we're almost out of time. Love does not act unbecomingly. Through the years, we have purposely picked staff that are loyal, they're respected, they carry themselves well, they're professional, they're educated, they're comfortable in their skin. I mean, Nicole Dickey, does she represent us well or what? Nicole is a class act. And you know, not only a class act, but Nicole is so loyal to us. She, you know, she even orders my 
leukemia medicine for me. She looks over me and helps me. I, she's just a crazy good lady. I forgot, I, I'm not going to do it. I was going to start naming other staff members, but you got Tom and Hector, all the staff, because I'll leave somebody out. We pick them because they act becomingly. Kristen in our office is very professional, very professional. And I can go on, Pastor Tom, Pastor John. See, I'm doing it. I, I'm not supposed to do that. And we pick Hector, too, because he's just Hector. <laughs> Years ago in Vienna, Virginia, there was a squabble over the nativity scene the church was putting up, and the ACLU got involved, and they said, you know what? You can't put up nativity scenes unless you have a Hanukkah, a minaret, Santa, reindeer. You've got to have it all or nothing. So the church says, okay. So they put up their nativity scene, and they had Santa's sleigh parked in the very back on the hill. They had Santa kneeling down to Jesus and his reindeer in the corral. And they said, oh, no, this is not right, not right, not right. Now you pushed your luck. There will be no nativity scenes in our city, period. So the church, they didn't like it. They protested. They come out with their signs. And one of their signs says, you guys are just jealous because you can't find three wise men or a virgin among you. Was that uncalled for? Was that acting unbecoming? Yes. As Christians, we're not supposed to do that. Someone as well said, to love above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, well, that, that's another story. We're out of time, the clock says, but let me end this way. Next, it has love is not provoked. Now, in your King James, I think it's King James, some of the versions will say love is not easily provoked. Easily is not in the Greek. Some translator put that in to soften the blow. It says love is not provoked. It's not irritated. Can we just quit right now? I don't think I want to go further to you. Love is never irritated. How do we do that, Pastor Ron? You can't do that. It has to be the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to do it through you. Love is never irritated. You say, you know, do you guys do like I do? Are those are the verses you kind of like to skip over when you read? You go through them real fast. Love is not provoked. I mean, come on. I see some of you guys get provoked every Sunday. I say something off the cuff, you don't like it, and you go like this, like it's going to change me? I don't think so. I don't think so. I am what I am. God made me. I like to have fun in life. I like to laugh a little bit. Humor is a good medicine. And some of you need a dose of it every day. So, love is not provoked. How, how do you keep from being provoked? In the next one, you just obey the next one. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Pray for a poor memory. Come on. Do you ever let anything slide? Come on, do you ever let anything slide? You got to let a lot of stuff slide. I mean, someone might come to church, we say one wrong thing up here and they'll go home. That one wrong thing. What about the 90% of good things we said? What about that? You got to pray for a poor memory. Oh, it's so important, gang. Learn to ignore stuff. I'm out of time. I got so much more to go. Do we have to continue next week? I don't know. Listen to me. I've said it again, and I'm like a broken record. Listen to me. 
The church has to major on love. More than we major on doctrine. Doctrine's important. Don't, don't hear me say this. Not, it's important. Worship is important. Sermons are important. But we must major on love. As you see, we're loving our community. We're giving beds away every week. We're get, you're donating. Hello? We're giving away. We're loving our community. When people think of VBF, the first thing I want them to think of is love, that we love others. Now, what did you hear God say today? You need to digest it. Now, here's what we're going to do. Last week, we ended with a song. And because it was up on the screen, our band didn't do it. We had to go off the air, and a lot of you didn't get the song. Right now, I'm going to let our campus pastors take it. If they don't want to stay with us, they have an option to leave right now. So campus pastors, it's yours. But for the rest of us, our band's going to play the same song that I put up last week. Now listen to me. I actually sit and cry every week. I just got this heart. I don't know what's wrong with it, but something, something wrong. You won't believe the people that we're burying. You know how many people we buried this year from COVID? A mess of people. Every day, I get texts. We lost our baby, Pastor Ron. Please pray for us. I can't even fathom losing a child. Some of you write me, Pastor Ron has been diagnosed with cancer and I have three little kids. Pastor Ron, pray. I sit there and weep. I tell my wife, I, I'm just burdened for these people. You've had a tough year. A lot of you have. Some of you have been diagnosed with cancer. The rest of you, things are going well right now. And praise God for you. But somebody sent me this song, I told you, a couple weeks ago, and it touched me so much. It just touched my heart deeply. So we're going to end with this song today. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to sing along, you've already heard it a couple times. We're going to end with this song, and, and, and John Ranger will dismiss you at the end. But let me pray us out. Father God, today we've given the word. Take the word today that's been preached and make it just pierce our hearts. Let us hear things that Pastor Ron didn't even say. Help us today, God, to be better Christians because of what we heard today. If you're out there watching anywhere and you've never given your life to God, it's real easy. Get alone sometime today or come up here with prayer people then say, I want to give my heart to the Lord. I want to give my life to God. Pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you so you have the power to start serving God. You need the Holy Spirit's help. Say, Holy Spirit, come and live inside of me. Forgive me for all of my sins and give me the ability to start following Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our king.